Now, okay, 1 Corinthians 12, one body, one spirit, many gifts. Um, I wanted to subtitle it, Everyone Gets to Play. It's about the spiritual gifts, and uh, I'll probably mention that again before we, before we finish here this morning. But, um, so, okay, let, let me, let, I rarely do this because the anchor always prays ahead of time, and, and that's sufficient, but I really feel a need to pray. So let me, let me just say a quick prayer. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we know that you are God. Um, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are one God who is triune, who is three persons, uh, one in essence or being. We worship you. Forgive us. Can I say that? Um, for neglecting you for so long. In the wing of the church that I've grown up in, it's often Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we, you're sort of the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity, and you are God. And without you, we have no life. You bring the life of Christ, one on the cross for us, through his life and death to us by faith. Without you, we have no connection to Jesus. Without you, Jesus would not have done ministry. And we are called to walk in him. And with you in us, Holy Spirit, we have the living Christ. Forgive us for neglecting you. I pray that that would happen no more. Show your church what it is to walk in the gifts that Christ has won for us with his body and his blood. Fill us, equip us to do the work of the ministry that people might come to know you, Jesus. That you might get glory. That we might be fully built up into the image of Jesus Christ. That your kingdom might go forth in power here. That this might truly be a place that is saturated with your presence. I pray it in Jesus' name. Speak through me now. Anything that's not yours, cause it to fall to the floor. Amen. This is going to be an interesting 30 minutes. All right. Well, let's just go. So one thing you see right away um, in this text is that you see Paul, even though he's, he jumps into the gifts here, he talks about the gifts in Romans, he talks about the Romans 12, he talks about the gifts in Ephesians 4 and elsewhere, um, but he talk, this is one of the places, the gifts are not exhaustive here, There's, these are some of the gifts that God gives. This is, these nine are not, that's it, these are some. Um, so I'm, I'm doing an exegesis of this text, so I'm going to focus on these, okay? That's part of the beauty of walking through a text, we get what the text is saying. Um, but one of the things Paul starts off with, interestingly, before he gets to the gifts, if you notice, we, Lindsay started in verse 1, went through verse 11. It's all in the gifts. He mentions in the first verse, now concerning spiritual gifts. For the next seven verses, he doesn't mention a single gift. What he's basically majoring on is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's a bunch to say here, and I'll say a few things. The problem in the church today, what Paul's wanting from the get-go to make clear, and I noticed in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, he does the same exact thing at the beginning of talking about the gifts. He says, look, you cannot have the Spirit and not have the Word. Jesus is the Word, John 1, other places. He is the Word of God. He, he, he articulates what God is. He is the articulation of God. We see Jesus, we see him living and speaking, and we go, that's what God's like. God hanging on a cross out of love for me, a sinner. That's the heart of God. The Holy Spirit takes that and puts it into our hearts and makes us live through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, don't you dare. Don't, he said, every time I talk about the Spirit, I'm quick to say, we, without, you cannot say Jesus is Lord. You cannot say anything true about the Word. 
about who God is and glorify Christ and not have it be a work of the Holy Spirit of the living God. You can't do it. So in the church, so if that's true and that's so important to Paul, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think Satan, one of his tactics is going to be in the church? And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be to keep the word and the spirit separate as much as possible. So this is a caricature, but we see churches, in, let's just say in the West, because that's essentially all that most of us know. In the West, we see churches that are word-centered and deep into the scriptures, and they, they love theology, and they love the word, and that's so good, but they can be dry as a bone. Where's the Holy Spirit? You can just get up here as a non-believer and read the text and talk about it, and, and again, that's a caricature. But a lot of times you have word-focused churches, but where's the Spirit? Forgotten person of the Trinity. And then you have spirit-centered churches that, man, they are so into the gifts and full of the Holy Spirit, but man, do you hear the gospel preached? Do you hear, the, do you hear Christ exalted? Do you hear the gospel preached over and over? The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the session of Christ, his finished work, what it means for us today. A lot of times they're full, but they're crazy. They're unmoored. They're not moored and rooted in the word. Satan loves both of those things. He loves that action. He wants us to fall, in the words of Martin Luther, the reformer, off the horse on this side, all word, no spirit, or on this side, all spirit, no word. But what Paul is saying here and what God has done for us in Christ is that he wants us to have both and to be fully in both. And if you look at Jesus, anytime there's a physical, uh, physical a theological conundrum or an issue or something you're thinking through that might be a problem or hard in the scriptures, just look at Jesus. He's the great problem solver. And what is Jesus? He is the word. He's literally the word of God. And, ha- and what, is, what does his ministry look like? When he comes on the scene, he's filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, driven into the wilderness to be tested in our place. He passes the test for the first time in history. Unlike Adam, unlike Israel, he passed the test of being tempted. And he exits the wilderness and he starts his ministry and it says he's full of the Spirit. And he goes preaching the gospel, word, and doing the gospel. Healing, touching people, showing the compassion of God. Okay? So, so Satan wants us dry, theologically dry, or crazy. But Paul is saying, hey, word and spirit, don't keep them apart. So that's what Jesus does. And then you get to Acts 1, verse 1. And here's how Acts is about, Jesus has ascended and he's given his, he gives his spirit to his church in Acts 2. And it's, it's those that are left that he fills with his presence and they go out as his body and do his work in the world. That's the church. So the Acts is about what the early church is doing because of the work of Christ. And how does Acts start? It starts by saying Luke wrote Acts. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then Luke 2.0 is at the book of Acts. So he says, I, verse 1 says, I have written to you, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Okay, and what is he saying? What is he implying strongly in that and then as he moves forward? And I'm going to show you in this book what Jesus continued to do and teach. Now that he is risen and ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father in power, he has sent us his spirit to make his body to continue his work through his church on earth, to multiply what he did and to make good on his cross and resurrection. So what Jesus did, full, he was the word, full of the spirit. He calls his church to be grounded in him full of his spirit. Um, we went to a conference, a few of us, a couple weeks ago in Oklahoma City called Convergence. It was an equipping conference, and it was, we're an Acts 29 church. We're broadly reformed in our theology. The Acts, an Acts 29 church called Bridgeway hosted it, and Sam Storms, uh, one of his books is in the back. Um, I'll mention the books in a bit toward the end. Sam Storms led it, 
and his church was just ministering the lights out to all of us during that time. And the whole idea was convergence. It's time for the convergence of the word and the spirit in the church. Let's come back together. That's what Christ purchased for us. It's who he meant, meant for us to be. Um, and so this reformed, theologically rich church walking in the fullness of the gifts that God has for us. Really cool to see. Really cool to see people operating the whole church, not just Sam Storm's one-man show, but the whole church walking in prophecy, prayer, healing, mercy, compassion, all sorts of stuff. Really, really neat um, teaching. So it's, and you know, it wasn't an accident. Like, I'm not a good planner. If you know me at all, you know this. I'm expecting some laughter right now. Like, I'm not a planner, okay? So I did not plan. As we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, we walked through the whole book now. We're in chapter 12 for four months, and we knew we were going to this conference. I did not plan for it to be on the eve of our walking through the gifts, but that's exactly what the conference was on. Hey, churches, let us equip you to walk in these 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, these things that Paul talks about for the church. And so it was just that and some other things, a way of God saying, I know you're not that good at golf, but I'm going to go ahead and put the ball on the tee, put the driver in your hand, put your stance just so, and just swing, you know? <laughs> I mean, so, um, so it's time. We haven't been ready for this as a church. We've been planting. We've been doing things. It's time for us to together figure out, we'll never figure it out perfectly this side of heaven, but to figure out what walking into this, um, what Christ purchased for us looks like. So it's gonna, be, it's gonna be us doing this as a family on mission together, okay? So what are the gifts for, point one, okay? What are the gifts for? Um, do you notice that Paul's emphasis throughout, uh, it's, it's throughout this, uh, this text, it runs from verses four through verse 11, um, he says over and over again as he talks about the different gifts, he says one thing over and over and over again. It's a common thread that, that unites this text. He says, there are many gifts, but there's one in the same spirit. And for the sake of time, I'm not even going to read, but if you just look at that scripture, um, he threads, it's all the same spirit. It's one Lord. It's for the common good. He threads that throughout. Why do you think that is? And he does this again. He does this in Ephesians 4. He does this in Romans 12. Every time that he talks about the litany of gifts that Christ purchased for us and the Holy Spirit gives to his church, he goes back to this and he says he's focusing on one spirit, one Lord, common good, even though there are lots of gifts to each individual member. Okay, if you've found grace in Christ, you have a gift. That's one of the things Paul's saying. Each of you has a gift for the upbuilding of the church. Why, why do you think Paul might be focusing on beating this drum? It's one Lord. It's one Holy Spirit. It's the common good. I'm looking for some callbacks here, y'all. I'll take that. Unity. And why might he be beating the drum of unity when he starts to talk about the gifts? To dash pride, and what does pride do? If I get a gift and I start walking in, it might make me feel puffed up, and what does that do to the body? Splinters it, divides it. And so it's the gifts are good, but we are, until we die and are glorified, we still have flesh in us, the old man. And the gifts in our flesh, we will tend to use them to puff us up and to, and to focus the spotlight not on Jesus, but on us. And the whole point of the gifts is to spotlight Christ. That's what, Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit does. You notice back in verse one or two, Paul says, you can't even, verse three, you can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's not saying you can't say the words. He's saying you can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it and believe it 
unless it's an act, a supernatural act of the living God. Okay, you, that's what Christianity is. It's you being a new creature because God, Christ now lives in you by his spirit. It's a miracle such that you are able to say and believe Jesus is Lord. You can't do that without the spirit. The spirit's job is to spotlight Jesus. He loves to spot. You wanna see a spirit-filled church? Are they obsessed with the person of Jesus Christ? And is Jesus walking, working in them for the building of his church for the salvation of souls? To see people healed, in all sorts of ways, spiritually, physically, okay? So Paul knows, man, Satan's and the flesh will use these gifts to cause damage. You know, again, it's an old tried and true thing. It's probably overworn, but the whole fire analogy, like fire is so powerful and so good, but it can also be so bad. If it gets out of the fireplace and runs amok, boy, oh boy. And that's the gifts. And so they're, they're, the fact that they're abused a lot, actually it's used, and people, I get it, like people wanna just, close the Pandora's box, as it were, and walk away and be like, let's just skip the gifts part and just focus on the Bible and on loving each other. Well, um, abuse isn't a good argument for non-existence. In fact, it's the opposite. The fact that a fire can do lots of damage is a sign of its existence and its power. Sex could be a, an example as well. It, it exists and it's powerful and it's good, but it can really, really be abused because it's so powerful, okay? So, um, we have these divisions in the church. Hey, you want to talk about something, something Satan loves? He loves the divisions in the church through this stuff, um, which is why I'm mainly going to talk about what these things are, and I'm only going to say a couple, one or two brief things, and more in the future as we walk through these passages, but about why arguments against the gifts ceasing in the early church. Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. In there, hey, part of the reason we have books in the back is for that. This isn't a catch-all sermon. This is this text in about 40 minutes. Okay, so, um, so they're they're given. The gifts are given to us. What are the gifts for? They're given to us to unify us. Okay, not to divide. They're given to us to edify. Especially in Ephesians 4, Paul says they're for the the gifts are for the edification and the upbuilding and the encouragement of the church. My job is not to be the gifted guy that teaches. I'm the only one exercising my gifts and you get to spectate and consume and observe. That's not the church. My job is to equip you, Ephesians 4, for the work of the ministry. And a huge part of that is to help you walk into your gift as the body of Christ. I am super psyched for that reason alone about this journey we're gonna take together. I can't wait. I can't wait. Is Satan gonna be pushing against this? Is he gonna be pushing toward abuses, pushing toward division? Of course he is. We should expect that and we should be in prayer against that, shouldn't we? And extra focusing on loving one another and loving the Lord during this time. And that's why Paul goes straight to 1 Corinthians 13. In the middle of this talk about gifts, he goes, hang on, pause. Don't forget, love is the best of all this stuff. Without love, literally holding chapter 12, gifts, and holding, holding chapter 14, prophecy and tongues together, you're toast. You're toast, okay? So they're to unify us, they're to edify us. Um, and they're to glorify Jesus. Again, the Holy Spirit is a Jesus spotlight. So we'll know that we're growing more and more in, in the Holy Spirit and walking in the gifts that Christ purchased for us if we, are, if we are spotlighting the risen Christ more and more and more and more. Um, okay, everyone gets to play. Let's jump into point two, the nine gifts mentioned. Okay, what are the gifts for? Now let's actually jump into the gifts. One problem before we jump in, are you bored as a Christian? You don't have to say, you know callbacks, don't worry. If you want to call back, you can. Yes, brother! Um, I know some of you are. I'm your pastor. I know I get bored sometimes. It's less boring as a pastor. Um, 
Are you bored as a Christian? Between you and the Lord, be honest. A lot of you are. I want to say that if you are bored as a Christian, chances are you are not walking in the gifting that God has given you to the fullness. Maybe not at all. And I, that's one other reason I'm so excited to see God wake us up as a congregation through the gifts that he's given to us that Christ purchased. Um, you know, Christianity is not a spectator sport, but a lot of times we, we uh, betray the fact that we think that it kind of is because we're in a very consumeristic culture, probably the most consumeristic, in the, not just on the world, but in the history of the world. Um, but very consumeristic, and we build our churches, our, our uh, I almost said auditoriums, but our sanctuaries, I use air quotes, um, to look like movie theaters a lot of times, which is just totally about spectating, right? But that's not at all, Christ, Paul is saying the opposite, okay? This is, this is taking M16s off the, spiritual M16s, okay? This is taking M16s, I'm not calling for a jihad here, this is calling for uh, M16s off the shelf, grenades, bazookas, um, all sorts of things, in learning how to use them for the field of battle that we are in now to equip the church for the work and the fight of the ministry with Christ as our leader, okay? So this is not, this is anything but spectating. But in this world, in this culture we're in, we can kind of get away with that. If you're bored, I think that this is all the more reason to tune in here, okay? Um, let's just look at these. Um, one and two, utterances of wisdom in verse eight. Utterances of wisdom and knowledge. I pair a lot of these for the sake of time, but also because they go together. Paul says in verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, logos, so the word, logos means word, okay, or utterance, it's translated utterance, logos, Sophia, and to another the utterance of knowledge, logos, nosios, according to the same Spirit. Again, notice how he ends that, according to the same Spirit. Corinth was a hotbed of classical rhetoric, and so Paul, one of the things Paul does, especially like at the beginning of this book in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he front loads um, he front loads his writing with language that says, like, you are so focused on wisdom and knowledge, but true wisdom and knowledge isn't found in your uh, auditorium. It's not found in your rhetoric or your classical way of learning, in man's pursuit of understanding all that is. It's found in Christ. He is the true revelation of wisdom and in knowledge, and it converges on him, and it goes out from him. So worldly wisdom undermines the gospel through natural reasoning, and it also looks at a crucified Messiah as the solution to everything is absolutely and utterly absurd. Um, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, logos, or wisdom, Sophia, and my speech, logos, and my message, I'm giving you the Greek, by the way, sorry. And my, he's like, why is this guy already speaking in tongues? Um, and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, Sophia, but in demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. He's like, I'm not playing your game. I'm gonna show you what the gospel is, and the gospel is word and it's power in Jesus' name through the power of his spirit, okay? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The wisdom of men would never have come up with Jesus Christ dying on a cross for us. That's the power of God that completely went to shake our hands and then punched us in the stomach instead. Even the disciples, he told them over and over again, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem because there he must die, just like all the prophets. And when he dies, don't worry, he shall rise again on the third. I mean, he said it over and over, but still, human wisdom cannot see that. That, to see that and to believe that that is the power of God and the solution for us being reconciled to him and for his kingdom going out through all the earth is an act of God. It's a miracle. 
And if you want to believe that and to live into that, you should ask God for it because it is a miracle. And I can't imagine, and and the scriptures speak against a scenario where anyone would ever ask to believe on Christ that they might be saved and they might know that he is the truth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God and not receive that. Because God, this is God's posture, friends. This is God's posture. Nails in his hands, hanging on a cross for us, saying, anyone and everyone who wants to come, come. What did Jesus say it over and over in the Old Testament that prophesied about him and in the New Testament when he arrived on the scene. Come to me, ye who are uh, weary and heavy laden. He who thirsts, Isaiah 55, come to the fountain of living waters. Come, come, come drink of me, come eat of me. I am true food and true wine and true water, come. Are you in a dry place? Are you in the wilderness? Well, guess what? There's a rock. So what? Yeah, but water's gonna come out of that rock in the most unlikely place. The rock was Christ. Remember what Paul preached a few weeks ago? It's all Jesus. God is light. This is his posture for us. It's so exclusive. Christianity is so exclusive. There are many ways to God. No, it's utterly, it's utterly narrow in that it all converges on Jesus. But Jesus says, anyone and everyone, I don't care about your past. I don't care about your race. I don't care about your language. I don't care about where you're from. You come through me. I'm the portal to God. Okay? All right. So that is true wisdom and true knowledge. And so Paul could be speaking just of speaking that, preaching the gospel to a world. But I think, and I agree with Sam Storms, hey, disclaimer, his book's in the back. His book is literally focused on this passage. It's like 200 pages exposition with stories and stuff. I take a lot, the disclaimer is I take a lot from that book. He led the conference. It's wonderfully helpful. This is not his book, though. This is a 40-minute sermon. So if you want more, if you like this, you're like, I like that. I want, to, I want more of that meal. Um, go get the book, okay? And I'll talk more about that at the end, how you can do that. We want, we want to resource you, not just with books. Like, that's my penchant. That's my, that's my I'm going to go first to books. I love books. Like, books are my friends. Somebody laughed at me recently. I'm like, those books on the shelves, those are my friends. You know, I think it was, yeah, it was Cody. He started laughing at me, but they are. But either way, books are my love language. And if you want to know what to get me for Christmas or my birthday, that's it. Um, but we, we don't just want to give you books. We want to give you books and show you what they are. We're going to have a list online as well. But that's a start, and we want to start to train you and to unfold this in this gathering, in our parish gatherings, throughout our lives. So we'll, it's going to be a journey together, okay? But he says this. He says um, that he is convinced that it's more than just, uh, just preaching the wisdom and knowledge of God in Christ to folks, okay? That, let me see if I can find it here. Um, it's possibly things reveal, these, these uh, utterances or these, these words of knowledge and wisdom, things revealed by God, here it is, things revealed by God that we would otherwise not know by reason and his written word so that people's hearts will be exposed and they might be convinced that God exists, loves them, and wants to know them. Now, a lot of that's, that, that's actually not a direct quote. That's me kind of paraphrasing him. But um, 1 Corinthians 14, 6, in, in, uh, in a couple chapters, I'll preach this, but he says, Paul says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some, check this out, revelation or knowledge, same word, nosios, revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. So the fact that he, this is close context reading, what does knowledge mean? Okay, the first thing you do as a scholar is you, or just a Bible reader, right, is you say, where else is this used in close context? Knowledge, same word. He, he, he puts on either side of it, Revelation and prophecy, both of which are revelatory gifts. So knowledge and wisdom, these gifts of 
knowledge and wisdom probably are somewhat revelatory. Things you can't see in the scriptures, but they are from God. We have to filter them and evaluate them and weigh them. And it's, uh, it's, in, it's in doing that that there is a chance for error. We have to do it together as a community. How, we do, how do we interpret these things that we feel like God might be saying? God doesn't err, but we can. What we know is without error is the written word of God. So we take everything back to that, okay? These work in conjunction with God's holy, perfect, and written word, not, not against. That's the, that's the error people make. Okay, let me give you three examples. Admo- sometimes words of knowledge and wisdom are used to admonish. So there's a, there's a true story about Charles Spurgeon. He was maybe the greatest, almost certainly the greatest preacher, certainly in the West uh, in the 19th century. He was British, English. Um, he was preaching in Exeter Hall, London. And in the middle of a sermon, he pointed, and there's nobody more like reformed. He was a reformed Baptist. There's nobody more theologically rich than Charles Spurgeon, okay? You talk about a grounded dude. But he, in the middle of a sermon, he pointed, he said, young man, those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. I mean, it's not, this isn't a, this is like probably thousands of people in this huge Exeter Hall. It's in a hall. And when when Spurgeon preached, man, people came. All these people, he stops, and he just looks. He just peers over, you know, the high chancel that he, was, that he was in, I'm sure, and he says this. After the service, the young man came to Spurgeon, placed the gloves on the table, and said, it's the first time I've robbed my master, and I will never do it again. Pretty sure that guy got saved that day. Um, <laughs> that's, it, we laugh, and it's true, but what's the point there? The point is, they call us to right living. Sometimes they admonish us, and what happens? If that's all that ever happens, it's kind of a loss, but that, that probably drew that young man to the awareness that God is real, he's here, he speaks, and I better be on his team. And so he probably, and I, I believe that Storm says this, and I've read about this before, he probably came to Christ, put faith, saving faith in Christ. That's what we want to go for in the gifts, to see people one to Jesus. Okay. Um, so Storm says, Spurgeon could not have learned this from info from his Bible. He learned it from the God of the Bible, who never speaks with error. The word was from him, did not contradict the Bible, and was in line with the Bible. You shall not steal. Okay? But it had to be weighed, and then the young man responded. Now, so admonishment, that can also be for healing. Um, it's not unusual for healing to be given through a word of wisdom or knowledge. We saw some of this at, uh, at the conference. And I actually, um, actually had my back prayed for, and a man... Uh, a man, he, he put his hand on my back and he prayed. He, he gave a word, first of all. And he's like, anyone with lower back pains, I feel like there's some, someone or some, apparently like six of us came up, you know, but uh, come up and I just want to pray for you. The Lord might have healing for, might have healing for you. Notice the language, might have. We're not doing like, thus saith the Lord. We're doing, might have, we're, let's, let's see. God, God might be here to heal. Um, and he put his hand on my back, prayed. His wife was there and she prayed for me. And then, I said, he said, how do you feel? He asked me beforehand, how do you feel? He asked me afterwards, how do you feel? And I was like, well, the pain left as soon as you put your hand on my back because it literally felt like a hot potato that had been in the oven stuck on my lower back. It wasn't painful, but it was just like, hi, that's there. And uh, that's, that's not uncommon. Um, in Lord of the Rings, you know I had to work it in. Um, there's a, uh, come on! Um, there's a, it's said of Aragorn that the, the hands of, the, it's a prophecy, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Well, it's often said in the real world, um, that's right, Middle Earth is not real. Sorry, um, sometimes I think it is. Um, the hands of a healer are hot hands. That's, that's fairly common for hands to heat up when there's healing going on. Uh, but anyway, the point is, afterwards, I, I, yeah, I said that, and he was like, that's funny because my hand wasn't even touching your back. It was like three inches off. That's one of their policies. They, don't, they try not to touch 
um, just, just to, for, de- for decorum and just to be safe and stuff like that. Um, and so I was like, what? Holy Spirit? Crazy. And so, um, but it, it, here's another thing. It, it, it has felt better, but it's hurting again. Um, so it's, um, I would love prayer afterwards. So one of the things I'm going to say to you is keep at it. Just because it's not perfect, like that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. My, my healing gift's not perfect. What? I'm going to stop teaching because it's not perfect. I go over sometimes and I get things wrong. What? If you have a gift, you should practice it. You should use it. That's what we do with our kids. If they have a gift, you don't say, hey, you didn't play the piano perfectly first lesson? Stop. That's not what we do. We say, keep at it. Keep practicing. That's what God gives us the gifts for. And as we use them and practice them and discern them, we grow in them. Okay, that's normal. So for healing, um, let's see. So it's not unusual for healing to come along with a, a word of, of knowledge or wisdom. There was a young lady attending a church conference that Sam Storms was helping Lead. She had had asthma since she was 12. By 17, it had become chronic and much worse. She had chronic bronchitis eight to nine months a year, so three quarters of the year, and bouts of pneumonia that went along with that. She required constant steroids and antibiotics. Um, she couldn't climb stairs at the point she came to the conference without an inhaler, not even a single flight. Taking his cue, by this time she was married, taking his cue from Dances with Wolves. If you've never seen it, please go watch it this afternoon. Um, very good movie. One of the few, I'm going to get trouble for this, that, uh, he's, that uh, Costner's made that's good. Oh, no! There are a couple. I think Bubba would, would uh, disagree with me there. But um, taking his cue from Dances with Wolves, the husband called her Walks with a Cough. He gave her a Native American name. Um, she, had a, she gave birth to a son who inherited her condition. His left lung collapsed. And he also had to, at age two, and he also had to be on, on pretty constant steroids and antibiotics. Um, at the close of the conference on Sunday morning, Storm says, a man came to the mic and said, there's a lady here today, I'm quoting, whose name I don't know. And this was very common, by the way, um, it, at, the, at the conference. This kind of thing happened. Uh, there's a lady here whose name I don't know, but the Lord has told me she has dark hair. And then he says, which she does, Sam interjected. He also indicated that when you were 17 years old, you became quite ill which aggravated your chronic respiratory problems. I would like to pray for you. It may be that the Lord will heal you today. Do you notice that language? It may be that the Lord will heal you today. I don't know. After momentary hesitation, also very common, it's okay, she went forward. Also, he made the point, he's like, a lot of you last conference last year thought that, oh, poor person up there, like they've given a word, they feel like there's someone here and nobody stands up. There's like a minute of silence and no one stands up. He's like, poor guy, he got it wrong. It's like, no, in every case or almost every case, the person came up later just because they're embarrassed. It was like, that's me, you know what I mean? So um, after a momentary hesitation, she went forward and requested prayer for her then four-year-old son. She was instantly healed as the man and his wife prayed for her. Five years hence, and Storms published this book in 2012, so this would be 11, today would be 11 years later. No recurrence of asthma or pneumonia. Her son was also healed. Um, Another example of, of a, a prayer, a, a word of knowledge or wisdom, I, I was praying, I've had, I think, quite a few of them in life, but I was praying, I went and did a doctorate over, at, over in Edinburgh at a University of Edinburgh, but the university has different colleges that focus on the different disciplines, old colleges law, new colleges divinity. At the time, I'm pretty sure I did not know new college was the place that I would be going to. I just knew University of Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Um, and I was praying for wisdom and direction, but right before I started the process of applying to schools, Lord, is this what you want from me? We thought we were going to a pastorate, but do you want us to keep studying, to go over to Britain, um, to, to get uh, a doctorate? And I felt like a download almost, just new college. I was like, and I really, I just started weeping. I kind of knew. And so that's ended up where we ended up. And it was just one of many things that God gave us. Most of them were not that, not like that, not a word of knowledge, but just confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, encouragement, edification. I'm leading you, I'm guiding you, I'm giving you direction. Um, last one here. 
it can sometimes come, God's funny. I mean, if you read the Gospels closely, like Jesus is, he's got quite a sense of humor. Um, at one point he says, for which of these good work, that they pick up stones to stone him, because he, um, he, he said he equated himself with, with the one true God and blasphemy, which they thought he was doing was a, was a capital crime. And so at one point they picked up stones to stone me and he says, for which of these good works are you stoning me? Like he had healed people of blindness, you know. He, he was going around healing and preaching good, good, good news to the poor. And he's like, for which of these good works are you stoning me? That, that's just funny. But God is, he's got a sense of humor. He made the, he made the aardvark. He made the anteater. He made the duck-billed platypus. I mean, he's, he's funny. And... Uh, there's this one story that Storms gives of, he says, yeah, years ago we were at a conference and there was a man, he was out in California, it was a, um, it was a vineyard conference and there were people from all over the world there, every nationality. And this one guy, he had a bead on all these, kind of like the thing I just read, there's a, there's a person here, this, 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 and this, he just read his mail. And he's like, I believe the Lord has X for you. He was something good, you know? And he's like, he's talking to the Lord, he's like, okay, Lord, give me his name. He give, he'd given all these things about him, he's like, give me his name, Lord. Because he knew how the Lord spoke, and he was ready for the name. And his name is, and his name is, and, he, and he's, every time he would say and his name is, he would ask the Lord, okay, well, what's his name, Lord? And he would just hear, you know. He's like, no, I, I don't know, Lord. He's having this dialogue. He's like, I don't know. He's like, you know. And he said that a number of times, I don't know. And finally, they, the guy stood up, and they're like, what's your name? He's like, you know. <laughs> and he was like, I think he meant like Japanese, but literally his name was you know. His name was you know. And the guy was, and Lord was saying, you know. He's giving him his name, but Wow. So just messing with him, um, just to remind him that yeah, just, you're dependent, son, and I am funny. Okay, um, faith and faith, Paul mentions faith in the next thing, and then faith and healing. The two often go together. Not saving faith, believing on Christ and being saved. Um, that is a once and for all thing, and that sort of faith, it, it continues to be given to us by God, and it, and it um, fluctuates. You know, sometimes we have a lot of faith, sometimes we have a little, but God has got us. If we believed on Christ, we are made a new creation instantly, and that works itself out over time, sanctification. Um, but So it's not saving faith, but it's just the faith that God's going to do something. Not just that he can. Sometimes it's that he can. Your faith rises. I believe he can do this. But sometimes, and Storm's talked about this too, and I felt this, it's like you're praying, and you just say like, Lord, I believe you're going to do this and be healed, you know, or whatever it is. And it's the faith that rises up in you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of faith. And oftentimes healing accompanies it in whatever way. Um, again, not just that he can, but that he will. And Storms has a story about that, and he has a testimony from the lady afterwards. But um, faith is often important in healing, okay? Let me just hone in on this for a second. Jesus, um, instead of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, that he could, he was in his hometown where everyone knew him and they were like, we can't know you and you be who you're claiming to be. The prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, right? And so it said that, shockingly, Mark said he couldn't do many miracles there except he healed a few people. And Matthew 9, and then Matthew actually, which is probably, Matthew is probably written a little bit later, Matthew polishes that up and he says he didn't do many miracles there. But Mark says it, Mark's very blunt, and Mark says he couldn't do, okay? And Jesus was human, and he relied on the Father and the Holy Spirit, just as we are supposed to do for all that he needed, okay? And so faith is an important quotient. Matthew 9, 28, it shall be done according to your faith, Jesus said. There's a connection. So if like, it shall be done according to your faith, and they weren't healed, it's like, well, you didn't believe, but they were because they believed, and they were instantly healed. Um, sometimes God heals independent of faith. Think of the most obvious example, Lazarus. Lazarus come forth. I mean, the dude could not believe he was stone dead, had been for four days. He was stanking. 
by then. Um, God doesn't need our faith, but for some reason, he often chooses to use it. Um, the, the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief, you know, he got, he got what he was asking for. John never mentions faith in connection to healing in his whole gospel, so it's not always true. Um, but it is true that where people have little faith, there is usually little healing. You wonder why we don't see much of it these days. So part of this sermon, part of dwelling here is to see our faith rise and to see us obey and to try to walk, start walking into these gifts together. Obedient, I'll say this again probably, obedience is the win. Obedience according to his word, not what we see or don't see. A lot of times scriptural arguments against the gifts continuing are really just experiential arguments or lack of experience. They're not scriptural at all. Let's believe in what the scriptures say and lean into this stuff together, okay? Um, we are more inheritors of the Enlightenment and the post-Enlightenment West than we realize, okay? Very rationalistic. Let's let the scriptures change the way that we think. Um, I have something here on, John, on another amazing storms on pages 56 and 57, a testimony about a lady. He was literally sitting, I'm not going to mention it, except to say this, he was literally sitting down to write. It was Friday, and he had a sermon in two days. He was in Acts the book of Acts, he was in Acts 3 on the man that gets healed of blindness by the apostles, and he was literally sitting down to write in 1990. It was October 6th, 1990, a Friday. He was literally sitting down to write basically the case for, the sermon's gonna be on why God doesn't do this today. He's had a journey too. He, uh, and uh, he got a, and again, I'm, I'm done, right? I mean, I'm gonna share my own story of uh, somebody I know. But he, uh, he got a letter two hours earlier than they'd ever gotten the mail before. They always get the mail at 1 o'clock at the office. He got it at 11, and it was one piece of mail. It was from a man in Wales. He says lady in the book, but he shared this at the conference. It was from a man in Wales, I believe was married to this lady that got healed. She couldn't walk. Her, her legs were, she had severe MS, totally useless legs. And God completely healed her such that she had to like stay in her chair when her parents came back into the room because she was like, I didn't want to freak them out. If I had just been standing when they came in, they would have been like, ah! And you know, so she like slowly touched her hand, got up, starts walking. I mean, just, and he's like 30 years later, still healed. So, but check this out. Jim Campbell, he told me I could use his name. Old friend, First Prez, used to go to First Prez. We went to First Prez on Main Street in the medical center. That's where I got baptized and grew up. And then we left in second grade, and they, the Campbells left with us, and they're now at a church that Christ Evangelical, which came out of First Pres, planted over, um, over near the third ward, and, over near the fifth ward, I think. And, um, and so Jim, he's, a, he's an old family friend. He's married to Mary Lou. She works at Worth Faith Connection. We've mentioned that place a number of times. And I had heard that his leg grew once the elders, he had like one leg that was shorter than the other and he had back trouble and that his leg grew when the elders laid hands on him. And I, I've never checked that. I've never asked him. And so when I was preparing for the sermon, I was like, I called mom and dad. And I was like, hey, is that true? And they said, no, that was another lady. That was, you know, I won't mention her name because I haven't talked to her yet, but that was another lady and I know her. And so I called her too, left a voice from her. I think she's in New Mexico for the summer. So she hadn't gotten back to me. But Jim gets back to me and uh, he's like, no, that was my eye. And so let me, let me mention that to you. Um, he said it was either, he called me yesterday, we talked. He gave me all the details. He said 1984 or 1988, it was Father's Day and I was heading to Dallas and I had had severe um, eye trouble in one eye. I went to the ophthalmologist who sent me to a retina doctor, never a good sign. Um, his name is Robert Buckner. And he says, I still go to this guy. He says, you have macular degeneration. It will not get any better. It's like, he said, the guy said it was like, it's like stress fractures in metal. That's not going to heal itself. That's not going to get better. 
It's just going to get, but it could possibly get worse. He said, you've lost about 80% vision in that eye. So he put him on a steroid regimen, and his friend, uh, whom I also know, asked him an interesting question. He said, what do you think God is trying to teach you? It's like, okay. That's, he, said that, he, said to my, he said to himself, that's an interesting question. He said, I know James 5 says, if any of you needs healing, have the elders anoint you, lay hands on you, and pray that you might be healed, because the prayer of faith will raise a man up. So he said, well, I, I, knew, I, was, I, I knew to do that. So he had that happen at a Presbyterian, a died-in-the-wool Presbyterian, the Frozen Chosen. That's where I come from. God bless him. Uh, church. And um, he was healed. He could feel his eye. He could see his eye just restoring. And so he went back to the doctor, Dr. Buckner, and the doctor was amazed. He said, you have about 20, 30 vision, which is what he had before any of the degeneration. The doc couldn't believe it. Um, He had an enormous blind spot in the eye previously. It reduced to like a tiny, almost unnoticeable spot way in his periphery. And he won- he's often wondered why, why did God leave that dot? And he feels like, sort of like Jesus will have the nail scars in heaven. It's like just to remember. I feel like it's just so that I can remember how he healed me in his goodness and his grace. And so he's kind of developed a ministry of, he has a special place in his heart for praying for the blind. And they have a healing ministry, he and his wife, and a book, about a 20-page training packet for churches just to pray into healing, walk in healing. And I think they're, they're either going to come here, they're, he's going to send me his information, and we can work through it together um, after I go through it. But um, he did a study on blindness. He said, it's been 35 years since that happened and I'm still, I'm still have great vision in that eye. He said, that dot has gotten a teeny bit bigger, but it's, I hardly ever notice it. And um, he noticed as he looked at blindness in the Bible that it's everywhere. It's in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. But it's not just physical. It's spiritual too. And often when Jesus comes and heals, he heals physically, but to show that he wants to heal our sin, our, our dependence on ourselves, um, to, to draw us back to God and to heal us spiritually as well. And so the spiritual blindness, not being able to see that God is, that he loves us, that we are sinners who deserve his wrath, but that he has made a way for us to be with him in Christ. To, to not be able to see that is far more serious. But God cares about the body too. And so he came to to, uh, to speak good news and to do good news. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. So, um, but Jim said at the end of our conversation, he's like, I mentioned the leg thing. I was like, I thought it was your leg. He goes, oh yeah, my leg got healed too. It also grew. I was like, what? So, so it happened to him and another lady in the same congregation. This is a much shorter story, but he says in Oklahoma City, um, an elder grabbed his foot because he said he had back pain and he had two legs that were about a half inch difference and he just pulled out his leg. He's like, I know it might sound crazy, but it was there and I saw it, and I felt it, and it happened, and my back pain was gone after that. And another time, this is crazy, I think close by, his, he's sitting, he got, I had terrible posture, and I was sitting in a chair, and I felt God just grab me by the, it's like God, he didn't say I felt God, he said, he said it felt like God grabbed me by the hair and just pulled me up straight. And literally, I sat up straight, and, <laughs> and he said, I got home, and there was some back pain, and it was basically gone, and I got home, and my wife had been there, but she went home early. And so I got home and I go, hey, honey, do you notice anything different about me? And she goes, your back's straight. Um, so that was, his leg grew as well, all right? So there it is. Um, okay, a few, a few notes on healing. Um, it shows us, among other things, Jesus' heart of compassion. The, the number one emotion described to Jesus, far and away, is that he felt compassion the Greek and the Hebrew too, the, the Hebrew racham comes from the word womb, the womb of a woman where life grows, the tenderest place. You, it's a tender 
feeling that you feel for someone that's hurting that you want to help. And in the Greek, it speaks to um, your guts. His guts were wrenched when he saw people hurting. Spiritually blind, physically blind, lost, without a shepherd, wandering. And Jesus' heart shows us the heart of the Father. Um, so, it, so healing shows us the love of God and his heart for us. Um, not just believing that God can heal, but that he loves to, that this is his heart. Sam Storm says, um, God's heart is for healing, not hurting. Sometimes he allows us to hurt for his reasons, okay? But he says, my working assumption is that God's heart is for healing unless I'm shown otherwise by divine revelation or death. Um, that's um, what this means in practical terms is that you should continue to pray for the sick until God tells you otherwise, until God tells you stop. Like Paul was praying for his own healing and then God just said stop. So he stopped. But until God says stop or the person dies, keep praying. How does God tell us to be? Like kids. Do your kids stop asking you for things because they feel like they're being untoward? No. They just, Susu gets so much stuff from me just because she keeps annoying me and asking me over and over and over and I finally just yield. That's like the worst parenting, I know. But confession time, it's true. And so, shockingly, Jesus says, be like that. He tells us in a parable, be like that. That's how I want you to pray. That's how I want you to pray for these gifts. Pursue them earnestly. And that's how I want you to ask for them when you're praying into them. Give this person healing, Lord. Give this person a word, whatever it is, okay? Um, okay, I'm gonna skip that. And I just wanna say, one category that helps with this is, and that Storms helped me with, is that he's like, man, some, and we saw this working in the church a couple weeks ago at the conference, but some gifts are permanent. Like he goes, I could wake up, the gift of teaching, like I could wake up at three in the morning and I'll just start teaching. You know, like you have the gift of teaching, you, might, you have the gift of mercy perhaps or helps or administration and there are others. Um, but the gift of like prophecy, word of knowledge, um, healing, a lot of times these things come when, we're, when there are needs and when we're walking in them and asking for them. So they're occasional, not permanent. They're occasional. So there's a, there's a difference, okay? So it's not like you can just go heal whenever you want to, right? Um, James and James 5 said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and yet he prayed for no rain over an entire country for three years for judgment, and it happened. And then at the end of the three years, he prayed for rain hard, and it didn't happen the first six times. And he kept praying with his head between his knees, begging, 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 begging. And finally, he saw a cloud in the distance the size of a man's hand. And before long, it was raining so hard you couldn't even get a chariot down the hill, okay? So he's, his point isn't, a lot of us read that and go, that was Elijah. That's the exact opposite of the point James is making. He was a man with a nature like yours. That's the point, okay? Working of miracles briefly, and then a few things about rolling these out, okay? Working of miracles, um, dunamis, the word is power, working, literally workings of powers. Um, they often accompany the work of the gospel, the word of the gospel, I should say. Miracles are works of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to make things right between us and God and to heal us in all sorts of ways. We might not get healed, but we need to ask. Um, a brief definition, Grudem says something like, Wayne Grudem, uncommon act of God, often arousing awe and wonder, some examples would be um, Peter raising Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9. Again, remember, this is Jesus continuing to work through his, through his people by his spirit. Paul inducing blindness on Elemas as judgment, Acts 13. Possibly natural miracles, water turning to wine, Jesus stilling a storm, multiplying bread and fish. I've read about that happening in Mozambique in a book called Always Enough by Roland and Heidi Baker. Good book, check it out. <sighs> um, and it's resurrection. 
Jesus said, greater things will you do. It's happening around the world. We think because we're all egocentric, we tend to think that the world is like what's going on around us or the world is like what's going on in here. But actually, Philip Jenkins in his book, um, The Next Christendom, great book, Oxford Press, I believe, uh, very academic. He says that, um, think of your average Christian. Okay, you got that person in your head. It might be, I don't know. For me, it would be a white person that's my age. Imagine that, egocentric. No, it's like a, this is, 12 or 15 years ago he wrote this book. It's a 23-year-old Rwandan woman with a, you know, a pot on her head going to the well, dressed in a colorful robe. Like, that's your average Christian because in the global south and in the east, people are coming to Christ by the thousands daily. Here in America, we're holding our own just like barely, like that kitten, like, thank goodness it's Friday. You ever seen that poster? You know, that wasn't in the script. Um, or in Europe, dying, not normal. Normal is it's exploding around the world, okay? And normal is not questioning the gifts, but needing them, pressing into them, asking for them, seeing them in the scriptures, and seeing God move. That's normal. And people coming to faith, that's normal, okay? Um, So the rest of this, I'm gonna go past. Um, I'm not gonna even include the argument against the argument for cessationism, for for the gifts not being around, the more miraculous or the higher gifts not being around anymore. We can talk more about that. It'll probably come up in a future sermon. There are resources. The appendix in Jack Deere's book, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, is worth the price of the book. Very, very good. Prophecy, maybe just a story or two, and then I'm gonna just close with a few application points. I know that we've gone long. Thank you. This is important. Um, so prophecy, you might think of, talk about the end times, okay? Not that, not, not primarily prediction of, of future events. Rather, prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. The speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. So the merely human words, the speaking forth of what you feel that God has brought to mind, the interpretation of that and the application of that are all prone to error, which is why in 1 Thessalonians 5 and elsewhere, Paul says, weigh them, take them back to the word, uh, consider them, Test the spirits against the word in community, okay? Practice it. Don't be afraid. To grow your gift, you have to use it, okay? To even see if you have that gift. And it's occasional, so you may have it once sometime and not at other times, okay? Um, so it, it can have mistakes and must be tested or evaluated because we're the error side, not God, all right? And it's always gonna be in conjunction with the written word. If it's not, it's wrong. It's not from the Lord, okay? Okay. Um, There's an example of of that happening to Paul in Acts 21. I'm not going to go there. And amazingly, Paul in Corinth, this church that we're reading the letter to, they were off the wall crazy, full of gifting and super immoral and super letting the gifts go nuts. And rather than coming in, what Storm says is he's like, it's shocking. I never would have given him this advice. And going to the gifts, he doesn't say, pump the brakes, dudes. Stop the gifts for a while. Let's let's, like like have Bible studies for a year and then we can focus on, he doesn't say that. He goes ahead and just talks about how necessary and good the gifts are and how Christ died to give them to us. Always root them in the word, okay? But then he says the greatest of these is love. Never forget, the gifts are no substitute for the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the things that show you that you are God's. You can be a gifted person and go to hell. Jesus said it in in Matthew 7. Go check that out. Terrifying. You can be a gifted preacher. You can prophesy. Saul prophesied, and I'm pretty sure he's in hell, the first king of uh, of Israel before David. Um, you You can be all, you can have all sorts of gifts up in that house. But if you don't have love, 
you're worse than something like a clanging cymbal in somebody's face. You're worthless, worse than worthless, okay? So these are four to love each other and to love God more and to let his love be known to a weary and watching world that needs him, okay? Um, ability to distinguish spirits. Um, it's just what it sounds like. Uh, I think I may have this gift. It's the, it's the um, if they're not given to judge. You can discern between, you know, fear is a spirit. Um, and so these, there's a spirit, there are spiritual verities all around to be able to distinguish between what's going on here, what's this environment like, what is plaguing this person. It's not so you can judge them, but so you can pray for them, hopefully see them delivered and healed and minister the love of Christ to them, hopefully and see them come to Christ, okay? Um, tongues and their interpretation, we're gonna get to that in 1 Corinthians 14, but let me just say, this came to me as I was, as I was, reading, as I was singing this last song about something about tongues that said, tongues to praise God. We would expect Bible is about creation and a new creation in Christ. It's about creation and us falling away from God and creation being destroyed by sin and then Jesus coming along and restoring creation through taking the curse into himself and then, and then putting a new creation himself in us and then from us will come a new creation as we are restored, right? Um, and when God created all things, he set man and woman over them and he gave them speech. He breathed into them and he gave them speech. So we would expect in the work of a new creation, in the work of Jesus, that there would be a gift of speech. And that's indeed what happens. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the most controversial, more than prophecy probably. Don't worry, we'll get to it in a few weeks. Where to from here? Briefly, we're a family on mission and walking into this is gonna help us walk into that mission more. Sunday gatherings, we're gonna make time and space. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna do this in conjunction with your parish leaders, with you, we're on a journey. In our parish gatherings, we're gonna make time and space for it, just like we make time and space for food and fellowship and prayer and looking at the scriptures. We're gonna make time and space for, to practice and walk in these things. Monday through Saturday, we wanna make time and space for them as we walk into them in part of our everyday life so that we might reach people for Christ and see his image more fully born in us. Um, we have resources at the back for you, as I've said, and we're gonna have an online, much bigger resource page for you with lots and lots of books and, and resources. Um, Obedience is the win, okay? Obedience is the win, not perfection, not perfection. I have more to say, but I think I've said more than enough, okay? So let me just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for um, your spirit. I thank you for Jesus. Um, Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for laying your life down to make a people for yourself. I thank you for every single person here. Um, Holy Spirit, come. Um, lead us into all that you have for